Good morning, Ridge Church. My name is Patrick. For any of you I haven't had the pleasure to meet yet, and I'm so excited. We're in this series called Be Rich, week two of Be Rich, and it's really cool to me that we're in this series with over 100 other churches throughout the world. So 100 churches in our world are talking about the exact same thing we're talking about today. If you take a moment to pause and reflect on that, I think that's really, really cool, a really special thing. To help us get where we're going today, to help us talk what we're going to talk about, I want to tell a couple stories. And first of all, I need to throw out something to you guys and, and make a confession that I love my wife. And I love Newcastle United, which if you've never heard of Newcastle United, it's okay. It's a football club or what we would call a soccer team based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England. Um, I've loved them since I was a little kid. I loved Newcastle before I loved my wife, just to throw that out there. Um, I haven't missed a game on television in about 10 years. And the only reason I didn't watch them before was because I think it was about 10 years ago when America collectively began to accept soccer, kind of, sort of, as a sport and started putting it on TV. So ever since then, I have not missed a game. And uh, my wife, on the other hand, does not love Newcastle United. Uh, now, she doesn't hate them, okay? Like, she's not, like, uh, supporting another team or something like that. She's just kind of indifferent. Like, it's not her interest. Probably like many of you. It's like, would have never heard of them had I not just said it right now. It's not like a hatred for It's just not really her thing, right? So why, is my big question, why would this introvert girl who's not really into, interested in Newcastle United, welcome into her home, allow into her home on any given weekend, two or three, sometimes as many as a dozen neighbors and friends, other supporters of Newcastle United Football Club to gather in our home and watch this team that probably no one else in our city is even watching. Why could I sometimes even catch her like sneaking down into my man cave when she's stolen a Newcastle jersey out of my closet and she put it on and she sits and watches and like cheers with us or sometimes because she's the introvert that she is. I'll catch her like on another TV in the house, like not watching with us, but watching on her own, like yelling at the refs, like yelling at the other team, much like we would do. Why? In fact, let me paint like an even more drastic picture for you. Because again, this is a woman who I think could live her entire life in Charlotte. Had she not ever met me, she could have probably gone her whole life in this country, never having heard of Newcastle United. But let me paint a really uh, stark picture for you. About a year ago, in fact, yeah, a year ago, kind of right now, um, or this time of year, we, Ridge Church, celebrated our 10-year anniversary. We officially passed over 10 years as a church Sunday morning. Some of you guys were there at the celebration. And some people did this really silly thing where they pulled together their money, um, and they sent my wife and I to Newcastle, to England, bought us a plane ticket, bought us a ticket to a game to watch. It was really crazy. In fact, I, I don't even, they don't even tell me like, who is a part of this, so I just had to write a thank you note to to, to whom it may concern. So if you know who was up to this, let me know just so I can thank them. But it was really amazing. It was a really cool thing. Um, but I found out we were landing on a Monday. We flew out on Sunday. We flew all night uh, to land in London. And then on Monday, that evening, Newcastle had an away game in a place called Burnley, which is a godforsaken place that no one would ever go unless you're like me and 2,000 other Newcastle fans who are going to travel to watch Newcastle in this away game. But we essentially had to land in London, hop in a rental car, that the stick shift was like on the wrong side and drive six hours to this place called Burnley. Like we didn't go to a hotel, we didn't check in, we didn't drop off our bags somewhere. We just went as quickly as we could. It's freezing cold, there's freezing rain falling. I'm doing these roundabouts the wrong way and my wife, I'm pretty sure I'm giving her lots of anxiety. She wasn't saying a whole lot, but you know how you can feel that off of someone and you can just feel that anxiety because of my driving on the wrong side of the road. Six hours, we get there, we park in this parking lot that's basically just a field Far from this 100-year-old stadium, but because of all this freezing rain, it's just a field of mud. And so we're like 
dragging my wife along, traipsing through the mud to this stadium. As we get closer, there's police everywhere because they have to keep the home fans and the away fans separate. They're not even allowed to walk on the same streets. We have separate entrances into the stadium, into this 100-year-old stadium. And then once we get in, they won't let us in all the way yet. There's just this cow pen, I would call it, for the away fans to stand. The only thing you can do there is buy beer. And it's like this, um, in fact, I think we've got like a quick little clip of this. I can show. Here's where we're standing and we can't move. And you can hear everyone singing like the songs for our team. It's just us, 2,000 away fans. They've all traveled from Newcastle, most of them. You can kind of look across the crowd. I'll tell you what the crowd was made up of. 2,000 of us, half of us, half of them were 25-year-old drunk British men. The other half were 55-year-old drunk British men. And then there were my wife and I, okay? Um, this was not her scene. These were not really her people, if you're kind of tracking with what I'm getting at. All you could do is buy beer. There was beer flying everywhere. It smelled like beer and urine somehow. It smelled like urine, if that's okay like to say to you guys. And there was mud all over this place and there was no room to move. You're just kind of like this the whole time and everyone's just shouting and singing. They finally let us into the stadium. Did I mention it's freezing cold? My wife had thought ahead and she bought us uh, what like deer hunters use like in their hands, like the hand warmers, the feet warmers. We had those on. Didn't seem to help much. I've got like eight layers we're in this stadium and for two hours we do not sit down we're singing we're shouting we're cheering for my team Newcastle we don't sit down for two hours at one point my wife's like uh, I need to like find a bathroom and like I'd love to have a drink or something I'm like well I'm not leaving I don't know about you but like so she braved it on her own that's a bad husband of me I know I get it she's got some stories from that experience of the interactions that she had on her way to try to get a drink and find a bathroom the only, like she didn't complain this whole time. The only thing I can remember that's like, you couldn't even call it complaining, but there was one moment when my team was winning the game and there was one section of home fans over here next to our section. And there's of course a row of police, like a police officer, every single step all the way up to kind of divide the sections and the entire away section of fans, the Newcastle fans are pointing and shouting and doing some other hand gestures. I won't try to explain to you now and singing a song about the home team city that I won't tell you the lyrics to that song right now. It went on for minutes, and my wife just turns to me and whispers, this is really mean. I think I want to leave. That was the only thing. And I'm like, no, we're not leaving. We're staying, you know, of course. And so finally, the game ends. My team wins. Newcastle wins an away game. We're all cheering. We're so excited. She's like, great. It's pretty late, you know. It's probably pushing midnight on a Monday night. She's like, great. Let's, you know, let's get out to the car. I'm like, no, we can't leave. So for 30 minutes... After the game, this is, I, I recorded this video 30 minutes after the final whistle. This is what happens. You can see all the home fans have left. They've gone home. The teams have gone home. All the people who work at the stadium have gone home. Everyone is gone. This is just us and 2,000 other Newcastle fans who have to be at work the next morning, by the way, far, far away in Newcastle around midnight, singing, cheering on our team. And all you can see are the police officers. They're now beginning to try to usher us out like, hey, guys, we got to shut down the stadium. We need you to leave. So for 30 more minutes in the freezing rain after the game was over, after what she signed up for was over, there we are clapping, singing, screaming. All throughout the match, those 55-year-old, like, drunk British guys were, like, hugging her and, like, picking her up and, like, saying things that she couldn't understand, you know? Not her scene, not her people, not her interest. Why in the world would this lady do that? Why would she put herself through something? The only thing I can figure out is because we care about the things that the people we care about care about. We all know how that goes. I'm going to transition kind of a hard shift to something really serious. This is probably going to be 
Maybe the most controversial subject we've ever talked about at Ridge, I realize I'm going to make some enemies with this. It could be the first time someone stands up and walks out of the room, so just prepare yourselves. Disney World is not a place that was created for human beings. <laughs> Disney World is an awful, yes, we got, wow. It's, it is not where dreams come true. It is where dreams are dashed. Disney World, I, like, I don't want to be disrespectful to God, but I think when God was somehow, however it worked, like in creation, like long ago, like when God was dreaming up the land that Disney World would one day sit on, I don't even think God in all of his infinite wisdom ever dreamed that that spot of land would be a vacation destination, much less the number one spot in the world. You guys with me? It's like God dreamt that up only for gators and for swamps. That was the only, in fact, Remember long, long ago from like your history lessons, this was a, a penal colony. This was like a prison camp. It was like that central Florida region. It's like now we warn our kids like, hey, you got to quit acting like that before you become an adult. Like they're going to send you to jail. No, kids back then it was like, they'll send you to Florida. And now we're like paying to go there. It's, it's, it's wild to me. I'm like, I'm really, I'm really puzzled by it. I don't know what's happening. It's so hot and humid and that piece of the world, it's obvious. It's just, it's just meant for gators. That's the only thing. That, like, it's not meant for human beings. Disney World is structurally designed at its core to not be a happy place, to be a miserable place. And I get it. For those of you, you love Disney. There's like that two minutes a day, maybe you could combine, two minutes a day that it's just like magical. Your dreams come true. At the end of the day, usually after everyone's done crying and screaming and spitting and sweating, and everyone's gathered around Cinderella's castle, and the fireworks go off, and they're playing that music, and you're looking at your kids, and you're looking at your family, and everybody's smiling for the first time all day, and you're like, ah, oh, my dreams have come true, right? I get it, and that's why you go, and that's why you pay the ridiculous money. You guys, the money to get into Disney World is unbelievable. It's insane, and then the money you have to pay to get there, right? To travel, to buy a plane ticket, to, to travel with your vehicle, to rent a car, to pay for the gas, and then the money, that, like they jack up the rates of the hotel rooms. Like, so you, it's only a few times in my life have I paid more than $100 a night for a hotel room. But when I do, I'm like, oh man, we're going to live like kings, right? Like more than $100 for a hotel room? Nope. Disney World, you get like a Motel 6 with a mouse painted on the side of the wall. And it's like, <laughs> we're feeling so lucky. We're so thankful. We got in here for only 120 bucks a night. I know half of us are sleeping on the floor, but isn't this great? the lines at Disney World. What's with the, I mean, it's like, it's like somebody thought up all the worst things about our world and packed them into one place. Like the lines at Disney World, five and a half hours, sometimes people wait in line to ride one ride. Five and a half hours. So imagine you're a family of five and you've paid like, it'd be close to $1,000 if you just pay regular price tickets to go for one day to Disney World. And let's imagine that you have to drive eight hours in your car, as we would from here, to get to Disney World. Your children are excited to ride this one ride. You stand in line for five and a half hours. They're so excited. You enjoy it for 60 seconds. They come off the ride. They're like, hey, Daddy, can we ride it again? <laughs> nope, not today. Not before they close. And this is the only ticket we got, so we might as well jump back in the car and start our eight-hour journey back home. And we just dropped $1,000 on that. Like, Oh, Disney World. It's like no wonder old Walt was able to buy this big old section of land because who would want to buy this place to start something here? Hmm. Speaking of uh, children going to this place and standing in line, I don't know about your kids. Maybe your kids are like, I don't know, you've done a better job of parenting. But when I look around Disney World, all I see 
are screaming, whining, crying, children and parents stressed out, trying to like, oh man, we paid all this money, we gotta stay here, like what are we gonna do? Like happiest place on earth, I don't, that's some crazy marketing scheme right there to convince people that it is. In fact, I think I know how they do it. I think it's the pixie dust. Have you ever been to Disney World and they're like, they can like put the little pixie dust on you? Because the other four members of my family have all had pixie dust sprinkled on them. And they're kind of like, it's like, it must be the Kool-Aid that they have you drink. It's in the pixie dust. I have never had the pixie dust sprinkled on me. I think I'm the only one still thinking logically about this Disney World place. So I think that's it. If you go to Disney, just stay clear of the pixie dust. I think that's maybe the secret. My wife, she's like really got the pixie dust. She's got the Kool-Aid because she pays extra money to go run races at Disney World. That's like her thing. You know, she's done like four half marathons now. She's about to do a full marathon in January. And me and all the children are going to go wake up at 5 a.m. to cheer her on running this race at Disney World, which the whole idea of like just paying to run still stumps me. Like, you know, you can run for free, right? Like there's all this space. You can just go run anytime you want to. You don't have to pay all this money to run. But oh, wow. Like I would rather take a beating with a brick stick than take children to Disney World. Like... <laughs> That's how bad, but, but I've done it many times. And I've even found ways to enjoy it. And I'm about to do it again. And I think you couldn't pay me to go to Disney World except for the fact that someone that I care about so deeply cares so deeply about Disney World. It's this truth that I mentioned earlier, that somehow there's this thing in us that we care about what the people we care about care about. You guys know exactly how this works, right? It's, you've stumbled into it. It's happened to you. Anybody who's ever been married, you've kind of tasted this at some level, right? Like maybe your entire life, you never cared about making the bed. You could care less if the bed is made. And then all of a sudden, you were married to somebody who cared a lot about the bed being made. And over time, you began to care about the thing that the person you cared about cared about. I know my wife's thinking right now, like, why didn't that rub off on you? Well, it maybe didn't work on me, but it probably worked on you. If you've ever had kids, especially small children, we know how this goes, right? You begin to care about the things that the people you care about care about. Like, that's the only reason I can imagine that I would care about Hatchimals and, like, Poopsie and, like, LOL surprise dolls, like these really strange things that I somehow now care about. Or, like, 18 months ago, my wife and I couldn't have told you the first thing about the Avengers. Not one thing. Like, we didn't know what the Avengers were, who they were. Like, had never seen a movie, and now we could probably quote them to you because of how many times we have seen them and how often our children try to portray a particular Avenger. Because before long, we start to care about what the people we care about care about. And to me, this is fascinating. This is a fascinating thing about humanity because humans, if you just think about us, we are really, really selfish beings. We care about ourselves and we care about what we care about. And so for this to happen is really intriguing to me. It's really fascinating. I believe this is a part of the image of God in us fleshing itself out. In fact, I am convinced that when we think this way, we are thinking like Jesus. And I believe this because a guy named Paul wrote it down. And Paul was this guy from the first century who hated Jesus with everything in him. And then he met Jesus, and then he became one of the most passionate Jesus advocates maybe that the world has ever known. And he wrote a whole lot of letters to these early first century groupings of Jesus followers. And he wrote this particular letter that I want to like dive into today to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Philippi, which is like modern-day Greece. And here's what he has to say about thinking like Jesus. Starts off this way, in humility, value others above yourselves, which I feel like we could read that and go home. And we could come back next Sunday and read that and go home. And we could just keep trying to do that for the rest of our lives, right? That's kind of like 
Wow. That's a difficult thing. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Man, that is some difficult stuff. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who didn't look out for his own interests, but looked out for the interests of the others. Now, a lot of you may know, a lot of you may not know that um, Paul didn't write in English. Um, <laughs> it was uh, 2,000 years ago. He was writing in Greek. I mentioned this is like modern-day Greek. He's, he's, uh, Greece, he's writing uh, to people who live in a city there, this letter too. Um, in fact, he probably didn't write it all. He was probably dictating to a friend of his who was writing it down in Greek. So we have these English translations, which are really helpful because a lot of us don't know Greek, so I like reading in English. And I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and so I love reading a whole lot of different translations sometimes because it helps me wrap my mind around in English maybe what Paul was originally trying to get at, to look at it kind of from different angles. So this is this next translation. I'm going to read the same passage from a translation I love called The Voice. Um, it goes this way. Get beyond yourselves, which I love. It's like, hey, get over yourself and stop protecting your own interests. We spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money protecting our own interests, Right? That's kind of what we do. That's like a natural thing in us. Instead, be sincere and secure your neighbor's interests first. How like against the flow is this in our culture to stop protecting our own interests, but instead try to secure my neighbor's interests first. In other words, what this means is adopt the mindset of Jesus. So thinking like Jesus is putting my neighbor's interests first instead of my own. Now, uh, we're going to jump to one other translation because uh, I love it. Um, it's called the NIRV. So we've got like the NIV, which is like the pretty much standard, like a lot of people read, it's the New International Version. The NIRV is the New International Reader's Version. So it's like what we use in Upstreet, our amazing uh, elementary age environment for the kids there because it's written, it's translated, a lot of the same translators, it's like a fabulous translation, but it's meant to be read on a third grade reading level. So if you've passed third grade reading, you're in. In other words, this translation is very plain and simple, which is what I love about it. So let's check it out in that translation. None of you should look out just for your own good. Each of you should also look out for the good of others. In fact, as you deal with one another, you should think and act as Jesus did. I don't know if Paul could have made it any more clear. Thinking like Jesus is caring about what other people care about. If you care about what others care about, you're thinking like Jesus. Paul goes on, he, he dives into this like really famous first century hymn or a song. Paul actually may have written it, um, which we don't have time to get into now. If you want to go and read the rest of Philippians 2, it's really cool. You can dive into that song uh, in case you're not familiar with it. In fact, if you're not familiar with it, um, on your way home, uh, the last track on Kanye's new album actually shows the ending. It's like the ending from this song that Paul wrote. So that's kind of cool. Come full circle there. Um, as I think about this, like Paul is encouraging us, essentially, if you follow Jesus, then think like Jesus. That's kind of the command. That's like what we're supposed to do. You want to think like Jesus? Care about what others care about. The problem is, that's not natural. That's really difficult. In fact, the Greek word that was actually translated mindset and think like Jesus or have the mind of Jesus is a Greek word, phreneo, which actually means not to think naturally. It means to think with kind of a, a, a moral bent or like thinking morally or have like some moral reflection involved in your thinking as opposed to mere unreasoning opinion. 
So the natural way we think is just we're going to be thinking about our own interests all day long. But this kind of thinking, thinking like Jesus, this perneto kind of thinking requires some type of moral interest or reflection that leads us to thinking like others. But that is incredibly difficult. The only way I know where we, where we find this power from, like I said before, is like the image of God in us. I think Jesus' resurrection, the fact that Jesus conquered the things that are going wrong in the earth and was able to resurrect, come back to life. He inaugurated something brand new. And because of that, we actually have been invited in to this brand new life as well and somehow have been invited into this mysterious but amazing thing of having the mind of Jesus, thinking like God himself, which is really incredible. But wow, so difficult. Let's talk about uh, voting for a second. Everybody's sitting up straight now. It's like, what, he's going to talk about voting in church? Okay. Just a spoiler alert for you. Um, I said all the controversial stuff back at the Disney World part, so nothing controversial here. This is just like chill. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I just wanted to apply this principle in something really difficult, probably for us to apply it to, uh, in our voting. So when voting season comes, now we had elections on Tuesday, right? And so you heard some of this, but like next year is where it's really going to amp up. And we're going to hear a lot about voting. You guys with me? There's going to be TV commercials. Everybody's going to be talking about it. Half the people are going to boycott social media, right? You're just going to be hearing so much about voting. And what almost everyone is going to be saying very loudly is some version of this. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Make sure you vote for this. Make sure you don't vote for them. You guys, we need to look out for our own interests, Hey, everybody, come on, let's work together. Let's all vote this way so we can protect our own interests. And I'm like, is, is this like the exact opposite of what Paul said to do? Like, is anybody else hearing that? Like, this is the exact opposite of thinking like Jesus. It's anti-Jesus, in fact. Thinking this way, voting this way, acting this way. But that's what's natural. What is natural would be to vote or think about anything in my life in order to protect my own interests. So it's really difficult to think about using something like my vote in order to think about the interests of others. Now, once we somehow adopt this mindset of Jesus, it's really helpful in something like voting. Now, it doesn't always tell you exactly who or what to vote for, right? I mean, sometimes it seems like it makes it pretty clear, but certainly not always. Like, there's not in the back of my Bible. I don't know about yours. I don't have, like, a voting brochure, like, next to the maps in the back. No. But this principle is really, really helpful. Like, at least if we start with this, at least we've got the right filter on. At least we're thinking like Jesus. Now, we might all, like, end up voting differently, but at least we, like, started from the same starting point. At least we had the same filter. At least we're all thinking like Jesus. And I get that's difficult. The tricky part, I think, is like how we get to doing this. Like we say, thinking like Jesus is caring about what other people care about. But how in the world do you start to care about what other people care about? <clears throat> I'm not actually going there quite yet. Sorry about that. Um, the best way for me personally that I've learned to do this, because naturally we're going to not really use reason in our thinking, and we're just going to care about our own interests. So the best way I've learned to do this is to spend time with other people as much as I can. And when I do that, when I spend time with someone else, I'm naturally going to begin to care about them. And once I begin to care about them, I'm going to start to care about what it is they care about. Again, we all know how this works, right? It happened with your kids. My wife had somehow made it through her entire life without ever seeing any of the Star Wars movies. She didn't know anything about Star Wars, and now she's, like, telling me all about the new trailer for, like, the last one that's come out because there are three 
shorter people in our home who care a whole lot about Star Wars and she watched all the movies with them. Or maybe for you, you never gave a second thought to depression and all this talk around suicide and um, mental health in America until one day you realized that you cared about someone who cared deeply about that. And all of a sudden you started to care about what the person you cared about cared about. For me, um, I never, I, I think I was an organ donor on my license ever since I had my driver's license. That's the only time I ever thought about transplants or like organ transplants, organ donor, like that kind of thing. Until my mom, almost eight years ago, had a double lung transplant at Duke Hospital. And all of a sudden, I really started to care about this thing because someone I cared about cared about that deeply. And I can remember sitting in a grad school ethics class where we were debating all kinds of things and it was getting really heated and organ donation or organ transplants came up and I thought about it with a whole different kind of mindset as opposed to just only through my own interests. I am an American middle-class white male. Naturally, I'm just gonna kind of have interests that an American middle-class white male would have. So the only way I've figured out how to help me along the way toward thinking like Jesus is to spend a lot of time with people who maybe aren't American middle-class white males, and eventually I'll start to care about them. And when I start to care about them, I will care about the things that the people I care about care about. It works like this for all of us. We could go to that slide. Um, I was going to go to earlier because I think it all changes. This is thinking about it in the reverse. If we can think about this whole principle from the reverse angle. If we say we care about someone or a group of people, but don't care about what they care about, do we actually care about them? Hmm. That's a tough one. I don't know. Maybe we should take a pause. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't always be quite so gung-ho to say that we care about some people, if we haven't even taken the time to find out what it is that they care about, much less care about the things that they care about. I'd love to get really, really practical right now. And I'd love to talk about Piney Grove Elementary School because Ridge Church, we say all the time, loves Piney Grove, right? We've even got a logo. We've even got it on t-shirts. We've had signs that say Ridge Church loves Piney Grove. Of course we care about Piney Grove. Now, in this example, I think we've proven it. For about nine years now, I think we have proven that we as a church care about love Piney Grove because I think love is a whole lot more to do with action and very little to do with words. And we've taken two major actions over the course of the last nine years to really care about, to really love Piney Grove. With our dollars, we've contributed a lot of resources. We've, we've pooled all of us, a lot of you together to love on Piney Grove, and we've uh, given up our time. We've served that place, I think, incredibly well. And so if you were to walk with me through the halls of Piney Grove, I could, I could show you just based on the people's reactions that we have a reputation there of loving, of caring for Piney Grove. But what about you as an individual? Would you say you love Piney Grove, care about Piney Grove, care about the things that Piney Grove cares about. A lot of you, I know you do. I've seen you doing it. I've seen you caring about Piney Grove. I've seen you loving Piney Grove. I know you do because people gave in this Be Rich offering last week that so much of it goes to help us partner with Piney Grove. But just think about you individually. And you know what? There's so many things to like care about the interests of others more than just Piney Grove. We just happen to be getting specific. But so, so put Piney Grove aside for a second. Is there any 
group of people? Is there any person? Is there any organization who, if you were to walk through the halls, you would have a reputation of like, wow, they care about us. I know they do because of their actions, because of the way that they give, because of the way they love, because of the way they serve. And we're all about like, everybody's got to start somewhere, right? And so if your answer to that question is no, answer this question as a follow-up. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be amazing if you had that reputation somewhere? I think it would be. But, but I want to take like the, our final time here because it's Be Rich. We talked about give last week. We're talking about serve this week. I want to talk about, uh, take the rest of our time to simply apply this principle as it relates to Piney Grove Elementary School, the first community partner that we ever had as a church. And I think this principle is meant to be taken throughout every facet of our lives. I think Paul was writing this so that people who follow Jesus would think like Jesus in everything we do and always look out for the interests of others before the interests of ourselves. Well, let's apply this very specifically to Piney Grove Elementary School. And first of all, I think we need to take a step back and think about, do we even know what Piney Grove cares about? If we want to care about the things that people we care about care about, and we say we care about Piney Grove, what is it that Piney Grove cares about? The teachers, the kids, the parents of the kids, what, the staff, what does Piney Grove care about? Well, I think in a lot of ways, people at Piney Grove care about many of the same things that you and I care about. Like if you're a parent, in the room today. And we think about what do parents at Piney Grove care about? Well, I think they care deeply about their children receiving a great education. They want their kids, like, just some, like, equality in education, like they want. In fact, many of these parents are first-generation Americans, and they just want their kids to get a great education so that their kids can start out adulthood somewhere near equal, at least a lot further ahead, maybe, than, than them as, as mom or dad did. But, but we know it's tough sometimes in our school systems. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to choose where they lived, and so wherever you live, that's kind of where you go to school. And sometimes we know Title I schools, it's, it's kind of tricky to have equality of education, right? Maybe there's uh, some families at Piney Grove who care a lot about simply having Christmas presents to give to their kids because they're tired of answering, making stuff up for their children when they ask, was I bad all year? Is that why Santa didn't bring any presents? There's a lot of parents who care about that. I think we could relate to that. Or they know there's places where they could go and take their children to get presents, like some organization would give them presents, but they know they'd be seen as this charity case. And I think a lot of times parents just care about the same thing you and I care about at Christmas time. We want to be the hero. Like we want the kids, our kids to know that we're the hero. We found that thing that you wanted and we're giving you the present. So I think parents, there's, there's this thing that they care about just like we as parents do care about. I think these families care about just having some community, having a relationship where they're treated with dignity, feel like an equal, well, maybe with some other family. Let's think about the teachers and staff at Piney Grove, specifically teachers I'm thinking about this morning who teach at Piney Grove. You guys, they like pour themselves out, teachers do. Some of you are teachers. Some of you know teachers. You know, like teachers give themselves away. Talk about people who are looking out for the interests of others, right? But it takes them down. Like it's a difficult job. I wonder if I've talked to a lot of teachers this week and asked them, specifically even teachers from Piney Grove. I think a lot of them just would care about knowing that there's maybe one other person out there in the world who sees them, sees what they're doing, might would take the time to write them a little card and say, wow, you're a hero. I don't know how you do it. That's a tough job what you're doing, but thank you. Keep it up. I see what you're doing. You're making a difference. Might be just enough to get them through like another year, right? How about kids at Piney Grove Elementary School? They probably care about the same things that you and I cared about when we were kids to a large extent. They don't care about school. <laughs> I know that if they're anything like me. They don't care about math. 
But kids care about having fun, and I think they care about maybe having one adult in their life beyond a parent or a teacher, because parents and teachers, they have to say and do certain things, right? But maybe one other adult that they feel like believes in them and is for them and will show up consistently in their life and tell them that they are worth it and that they can do it. So if we're going to say we care about Piney Grove Elementary School, I think we have to care about these things that the people at Piney Grove care about. So I think if we collectively, each of you as individuals, myself as an individual, want to think like Jesus, a great step into doing that is maybe just spend some time with some people at Piney Grove, and then we're going to start to care about those individuals. And once we do, we're going to have to care about what they care about. We're going to learn to look out for the interests of others before my own interests. And I'm so glad. I'm watching all your faces. I'm watching some of you. You're like thinking about raising your hand. You're wondering if it's appropriate to ask your question out loud. If we can just interact like that, that would probably be fine. But I see what you're all wondering, the same thing. So I'll just go ahead and answer your question. The question that you're wondering is, Patrick, like, I'm in. This is awesome. Where do I begin? What do I do? Like, what, how can I do this? I'm so glad you guys are all wondering the same question. I was actually prepared to answer your questions today. So this is great. In the next 30 days, we're going to give you three different opportunities you can choose from to be with, to care about some people at Piney Grove. These are not the only opportunities. We have opportunities all the time. And Piney Grove is not the only thing, remember? This is like meant to be applied universally in our lives. But these three things we're going to throw on the screen. Start really simple. This is like a baby step, right? Could you go like buy a Christmas card for a teacher or staff member at Piney Grove and write something amazing? Write something awesome to them. Like, hey, I see you. I see what you're doing. You're awesome. Buy a $15 gift for that teacher or uh, staff and then just bring those things here. You've got weeks. I can't remember the date today, but you've got like almost a month. December the 8th or December the 15th, we're going to have an awesome Christmas tree right out here in our foyer. Those of you at the cafe, um, we'll have one up there, I bet, as well, a spot where you can drop them. And just make sure you drop them off by December the 8th or December the 15th. Pretty simple, right? How about this? We'll, like, take another step forward. Uh, partner with a Piney Grove family who's in need for Christmas. So there's, there are families in need all over our city, all over our community. There are families who, what I described earlier, that is the reality for them year after year. Children asking their parents to Santa, was I on the naughty list because I didn't get any presents this year because that's just the reality for these families. We have such a close relationship with Piney Grove. Um, I'm in constant contact with the social worker who kind of heads things up at Piney Grove, and they let us know what the situations are, and we know there's some families like that. There's some families in need whose children happen to attend Piney Grove, and if we care about Piney Grove, we've got to care about what these families care about. So um, last year we did this. In fact, we've done this every year, I think almost for nine years, some version of this, but last year specifically, I know, we had, I think, 14 different community groups, 14 different small groups here at Ridge Church. Many of you are probably a part of this already who said, like, yeah, we'll do that. We as a community group will partner with a family and walked through that Christmas season with them, meeting the needs, developing relationship, and that's a beautiful thing. This year, however, um, by the way, I should have mentioned back here with the Christmas cards and gifts for teachers, 98 of them we need. 98 of those we need. That's the teachers and staff count at Piney Grove. So you can do as many as you want. You can sign up for one. You can bring 10 of them if you like to. But we need 98. For this, we've got 20 families this year who are in need. So we're probably going to need a lot more families from Ridge Church to step up and just commit to say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to meet with that family. I'll talk with them on the phone. I'll show up at their house and just kind of assess what exactly the needs are. Um, the beautiful thing is Ridge will provide you with the money to meet the needs. You just need to show up with the love. 
In fact, you guys, when you gave, if you, for those of you who gave to Be Rich last week, you helped provide the money for doing something like this. So we're going to put a gift card in your hand to go around and make these purchases for Christmas gifts and things like that. Deliver it secretly to the parents so they can be the hero in their uh, Christmas morning as they present the presents to the kids. So we need 20 people or 20 groups or 20 groupings of families. You could team up with some of your friends here at Ridge and knock this out. Last thing, tutor a child, tutor a kid. 30 minutes a week is like the minimum of what that could take. And um, it, there's tutoring slots like right together. So you could tutor two kids in one hour, just back to back. It's a beautiful thing. I think we've got a couple of pictures here of different, um, there's so many people I think last year uh, who tutored kids. These are just a few photos of people that you might recognize. Um, this year, Piney Grove has reached out. We've already got uh, several people from Ridge who are tutoring kids at Piney Grove, but we need 16 more. There's 16 kids at Piney Grove right now without a, tut a tutor who are so far behind that they're just not going to be able to keep up with their class, and it's going to kind of determine a lot of the track of their life. You could make a difference there, but let me let you off the hook a little bit. You don't have to be a math expert. I did this last year. I'm doing it again this year. I'm not a great math tutor, but Heart Math Tutoring, who partners with Piney Grove and we partner together with to do this tutoring, their stated purpose, their stated goal is it's only 50% about the math tutoring, 50% about just being a positive influence in a child's life. And you can see that happen uh, with these stories from last year. Christy Wooten, some of you guys might know, said that, um, that her kid that she tutored was sad when there was no school on a Wednesday, because that's the day that Christy tutored every week, if there was a teacher work day or a holiday and her kid was out of school, she was sad because she didn't get to see Christy. That's, that's an incredible influence, right? Marla Baswell, a lot of you guys know, um, mentioned something very similar, that at the end of the year, the, the child, it's a big celebration, they passed through like the whole tutoring program, wanted to do it again, even though they didn't need it. They had caught up because Marla was her tutor. There's this relationship that develops. Uh, Andrew Weiderman, some of you guys may know. I don't think his picture's here, but um, he's a really busy business guy. Somehow figures out how to have time in his schedule to sneak away for a half hour and tutor a kid last year and this year. I know um, I probably don't count for that because I'm not busy. Um, I just work on Sundays. But um, this guy, Chad Fleener, and I, we had the same kid last year. We tutored the same little girl, which is pretty cool because we could text during the week like, hey, how's it going? And kind of celebrate together. I know Chad's busy. If you don't think I'm busy, I know Chad's busy. And he found time somehow to do this. So it was just 16, 16 kids. And what I would love is to call up Piney Grove in like a week or so and say, hey, we got you. We got your back. Those 16 kids, we got them. Ridge Church, we care about you. There's a whole lot of people at Ridge Church that care about what you guys care about, so we're in. We've got it. We're not going to let these 16 kids fall behind anymore. We'll be there. So how do you sign up? It's going to be really nice and simple. If all you guys would just take out your phones right now, seriously, take them out. I don't have mine in my pocket or else I'd take mine out. Take out your phone. If you have the Rich Church app, all you got to do is click this Engage tab. Then this screen will come up. Click Be Rich Serve. If you don't have the app, you should download it, but it's okay. You can also go in your web browser to ridgechurch.net slash be rich. It's going to take you to this screen. Click jump in, and then it's going to show you these options on the next screen, whether from the app or from your web browser. All we need is your name and email, and we've got you from there. Your name and email. If you're signing up to bring uh, the gift and a card for a teacher or staff, that's all you got to do. We won't even contact you anymore. Just you're committed. You're going to bring it. Um, if you want to partner with a family or sign up to tutor, we're going to walk you through that process. So you'll receive an email um, soon from us on that. And I hope... Um, as we step into this, again, there's so many ways that we can apply this principle, right? The, the, the thing I get excited about 
at Piney Grove is we're specifically applying this thing that Paul said to do in all of life. Like Paul was trying to make it clear that thinking like Jesus means that we serve and love everywhere. Yes, as a lifestyle. That's, that's thinking like Jesus. But at Piney Grove, I think we have a chance. This is the whole idea of be rich. That like the church begins to again be known for what it used to be known for in the first century. When people would look at this group of Christians, this group of Jesus followers and be like, wow, why are they acting like that? Why are they making such a difference in their community? Wouldn't it be cool if people in our community had us take a step back and kind of scratch their heads and be like, what? what is going on with this church and this school? Like, what does a Title I school have to do with all these Christians? And I think we'll be in the mix just smiling like, they've got everything to do with each other. We're thinking like Jesus. We care about what the people we care about care about. Let me pray for you guys. God, thanks for being a great God. Thanks for being a God who cared about us. Thanks that Jesus, you, you lived this life on earth and you modeled this for us. You set aside your own interests in ways that we'll never be able to comprehend. And you looked out for our interests. God, it's going to be difficult, but would you help us learn to do this? Would you help us begin to take steps, spend time with people, and begin to care about the things that they care about? God, can we make a dent? Can we make a difference at Piney Grove in a big way that maybe people would, would sit up and take notice that what are these Jesus people up to? Thanks for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.